Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10, and if you're physically able this morning, let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. Then he entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, engaging in discussion, trying to persuade them about the things of the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, Slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them, met separately with the disciples, conducting discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannius. And this went on for two years, so that all the inhabitants of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the message about the Lord. Father, thank you this morning, Lord, for the privilege again to be here on this Lord's Day, Sabbath day. Father, thank you for each family, each person represented here. God, thank you today, Lord, that though we are a mess so often, Lord, we get frustrated, we get discouraged. God, thank you that we have these times on the mountaintops and amazing times in your presence, God. But day in and day out, Lord, as we are approaching that day, Lord, that we all will face our last. I'm thankful today that we can have the power of the Holy Spirit. Salvation, Lord, as the guide, as the thing that's helping us establish a legacy that will go on long after, Father, we've left this earthly home. God, I pray that your word would speak to our hearts, not only in this building, but ones online today. Father, I pray if there's one here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that your word would permeate their heart, take the blinders off their eyes, allow them, Father, to recognize their need for a Savior, but more importantly, Lord, the love that is what Jesus is and who he is and that gift that you desire to give them today as they confess their sin, place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and ask you to be their Savior and Lord of their life. I pray there'd be a mighty harvest for the kingdom, not only here, but all over the globe today. And may you alone be the sole focus of everything said and done. We ask this in Jesus' precious, holy, and righteous name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So in verse 8 again, so then he enters the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, engaging in discussion, trying to persuade them about the things of the kingdom of God. First thing I want to share with you this morning comes from that verse, and it is this. God will bless obedience and passion for his glory. It's in this, not only is he going to the synagogues, but he goes in the synagogues and he speaks how? Boldly. That is actually an important word. That if you don't say that in there, you would not know that. He could be in there just talking. And, but when you proclaim it boldly, what does that mean? You proclaim it in power. Have you ever been somewhere and someone was a passionate speaker? I will tell you what, if you've been in some courtrooms, there are some judges that have gained the... Uh, Whatever you want to call it, the they are known to be very passionate. I know some that won't tolerate flim flam in their courtroom. Don't come into their courtroom with your pants around your your, your bottom. No, no. Don't come in there with your boxer shorts. No, no. 
I've actually been in courtrooms where the judge will hand out pieces of rope to tie your pants up. They want you respectful. Don't come in there and start mouthing because it, it won't end up well for you. They are bold in the way that they maintain the courtroom. They want respect. And it's a picture, even if you don't really realize this, think about the court system in the human, human's perspective. I'm not talking about the warped one now we have most, but in generations past, think about God's standard of judgment. It is actually modeled after the court system that we have down here. Punishment, their demands and accounting for, amen? I'm sorry, crime demands and accounting for. But you think about the bold part when that saying there, he spoke boldly over a period of three months. This would have been something that would have been exhausting. But Paul has a passion. Again, I don't say unmatched, but it's very rare in the scripture to the level that you see Paul. I think you see it in Stephen. Remember when they stoned Stephen? He was passionate, he's bold in the proclamation of the gospel. I think that's important to do. Because when you are bold about it, what does that say about what you believe? It means you really believe something, don't you? If you're selling something, if you give me something to sell and I don't believe in it, I couldn't give it away. And I'm, I'm serious. You give me something I believe in, and I can assure you, I'll be your number one salesman. Why? Because when you believe in it, you are passionate about it, you are bold, you know that every person on the planet needs this, and you know it's your job to help them understand that they need what you have. Why do you think Paul would be so bold? Because he recognized the importance of what he was sharing. He recognized the opposition that he was up against with the Jewish people, having himself been the exact same thing, having been caught under the law, having rejected Jesus Christ until the Damascus Road conversion experience. What he was doing is saying in his own mind, whoa, I just got to convince these people, be bold in this because you've got to recognize it like I did. Yet, Paul, I guess, sometimes might fail to realize he had heard the proclamation of the gospel too, right? He didn't listen. It was the Damascus Road experience when he's knocked down and next thing you know he's blinded by this light and a Paul, Paul, or Saul, or Paul, sorry, <laughs> I'll get it straight. Hang on with me. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against the goads? Well, the Spirit of God was all over Paul. God was all over him to do this transforming work. He had been set apart for this ministry of bringing the gospel not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. Paul realized beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was no other way but the cross of Christ. Jesus was the Messiah. He had missed the boat, and he wanted every person that he had an ability to stand in front of to not make the same mistake he did. It's almost as if, too, as he shares the gospel, it's like he wants to stop and go, don't you get it? He's bold in it because he realizes the same reason that I have a boldness about the gospel, I know it's real. I know that there is nothing this morning for me to stand up and to trumpet to you this morning if this isn't the truth. Are there things about the Bible that if I could change, I'd change? Sure, wouldn't you? Okay, yeah, don't be scared. Nobody's going to holler at you and beat you up. There's a lot of things about the scripture that are tough, man. Very, very tough. You look at the broad road, right? Many there that go, narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The thing I want to change is, God, 
smack some people and make them understand. But yet the hardness of human heart, right? We're so wise in our own mind. We're so, we're so wise because all the information that we're now privy to online, there's some really uh, messed up people that literally have their whole entire affinity in their life is to try to convince people that God's not real. And sadly, yet God stands there. And if you ever want to know truth, all you got to do is say, God, reveal yourself to me. God is powerful. And that is God's desire for mankind is that none should perish. And the greatest way to get somebody to come to the truth is to get them to commit to praying, God, reveal yourself to me. Because God does that. We know he will do that. The reason being is when you pray accordance with God's word, his will, and, and his desire, he answers. Amen? So, when someone says, God, what? Seek me with all your heart, I will be found. Right? Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door will be open. What you're doing at that point is praying in accordance with God's will because his desire is for people to come to the truth. I think what happens though is you and I begin to pray for that person, but we don't ever ask that person to pray what I just said to do. We believe that we can pray it and God's just going to answer what we say, but yet what we're doing is, in a sense, we're veiling the truth because we're not going out on that limb, making ourselves vulnerable and saying, hey, pray that God would show himself to you, reveal yourself to him, to reveal yourself, himself to you. You then have made yourself vulnerable. You've got the chance that a person's going to say, get out of my face, I don't want nothing to do with that. Okay, great. You know what you can do? Find another person who wants to hear the truth. And there's a whole lot of those people out there today. People are dying for something that's real. They're dying for hope right now. If you watch the news and subject yourself to that filth, you're just watching a big bunch of lies. It is absolute garbage. It is pure, unadulterated filth. If you watch the commercials, you have then subjected yourself to a greater level of filth. I'd encourage you, stop watching the news Get in the Word and actually see something that's real and something that'll change your life, your heart, your home, your attitude, and your family. Amen? And I will promise you, it will change your ability to have joy. And by the way, you won't be as big of a sucker anymore either. Because when you watch that stuff on TV, they'll reel you in hook, line, and sinker, and you'll feel like a big lollipop because they are absolutely filled to the top with garbage. And it doesn't have anything to do with anything good, wholesome, godly, loving, or anything else. Most often, it's a bunch of speculation. It's a bunch of garbage, and they're doing nothing but assassinating characters of people that don't fit the narrative that they want them to fit. So they're going to do nothing and stop at nothing short of destroying someone with a bunch of lies that they've got no basis to stand up and defend. So, now that I've given you that commercial... Ready? God will bless your obedience and his passion for his glory. What is Paul doing? Paul ain't focused on all the other stuff going on around. Paul's not caring what's happening. He's caring about people coming to know truth. So he's bold in that truth. He's getting the truth in front of people. Now what happens to the response in this? Let's look. Verse 9. But when some became hardened and would not believe... Oh, man, slandering the way in front of the crowd. He withdrew from them, met separately with the disciples, conducting discussions every day in the lecture hall of Trinius. Leads the second thing that I want to share with you this morning. It's this. Know when to let go and let God do what you cannot 
Some became hardened, would not believe, slandering. You know what the way is, right? The way is a follower of Christ, the way, the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. They were slandering it. You know what slander is, right? Accusing someone of things that are not true. They're bringing ill repute on the name of Christ. All these lies and things that they spit out. Each time we watch Paul and Silas get thrown into prison, what was it for? Someone made up accusations that were not real. They were false accusations. They were slandering the way. They were trying to prevent people from hearing the truth. And it's interesting there because it says, when some became hardened, they are in there literally rebelling against what Paul's saying, not bringing a good civil discourse with which they are dialoguing back and forth because it's okay to have a different opinion. That's not a problem at all. But when you result throwing three-year-old insults and you are slandering someone, what do you recognize? That person, first of all, doesn't even have a basis with which they can defend what they're saying, so they have resorted to doing the tactic of people who are less than honorable and we're going to just start slandering them and saying things that aren't true to try to just muddy the waters so much so that no one can hear and find out what the truth is. And the enemy's good at that. He's actually really good at that. He never wants us to quiet down the noise of life. He doesn't. He actually wants you to do this. He wants you to turn on a TV in the background and leave it on one of those channels all the time. Why? Because you'll never be still and know that he is God. You'll never have peace. You'll never have anything but a glut of filth that eventually so overwhelms your mind that you don't even know what peace is if you had to define what peace was. You will have no ability to even think for yourself because what happens, you've fallen victim to the prince of the power of the air, the master of lies, who doesn't want you to ever sit back and be still and know that he is God. He wants to fill our minds with a cacophony, which means an overwhelming level of distractions and noise so that we never come to the truth. Very, very important, church. Know when to let go and let God do what you can't. See, Paul's at a place where he has to make a decision. He can let hum humanity come in there. What happens when human nature in a situation like that for some of us who are more passionate about things, what do we have a tendency to do? Oh, do what? What are you saying? And I have to be careful because when I get in an arena like that, that old, um, the old nature wants to rear its head even in a godly sense because I want to lovingly correct them and bring them to a knowledge that they don't currently have. So you've got to be careful because if they've chosen the heart in their hearts, it's, the, it's really the picture of what we have here this morning. Not all are going to believe. I can't make you believe. You can't make me believe. I can't make you do the right thing, and you can't make me do the right thing. We have to make that differentiation and that choice on our own. That's our own to work through. Parents, you can't make your kids make the right choice. Kids, you can't make your parents make the right choice. As much as we want to will someone to a life that God will bless and an authentic, hear what I said, an authentic walk with Christ, 
An authentic walk with Christ doesn't mean you have it all figured out either. It doesn't mean that your, your, your little family is able to sit there in the pews and play, you know, what a perfect little family. No, that doesn't mean that either. When you have an authentic walk with Christ, you're honest about the struggles you have. You realize that it's by God's grace that you're not a complete and utter train wreck more than you already are. And God is a lot of times dealing with issues in your heart, your life, your relationships, and he's revealing the things as you find out that, God, you know, I thought I was doing pretty decent with you, and I recognize here's this mindset, this attitude, this action that, God, I know is not in line with what you want to do and, and what you want me to be, and, God, I'm going to have to start working on that, and I need to get some accountability and some friendships that I can begin to have them holding me accountable. That's what walking with Christ is, and actually that is a perpetual cycle to the day that you die. When you get it all figured out, by the way, be really careful. When you see a family that looks like everybody's just, everything's perfect and everybody's got it together, run. Run. Because that's not indicative of life, church. I'm sorry it isn't. If that offends you, well, I'm sorry. That, you, that's between. By the way, you might be good. See if I just hit a nerve, if it did. Because nobody's got it figured out. We serve one that does. And what happens in walking with Christ is you'll wake up one morning and you'll be like, Lord, God, you have done such a work in my life, Lord, and I'm so thankful, God. And wow, I feel like I'm really starting on it. And then the next morning you wake up and God reveals something, right? Maybe you got a little prideful in your thoughts the, the day before and then God says, oh, be real careful when you take heed, when you think you stand, because look at this. And then you go, oh, Lord. And what God does, he has to humble us because pride is not a good uh, personality trait in somebody who's a believer. Pride is a, a deadly to our walk with Christ. And God wants us humble. And to be humble, I think the more that we recognize that God's working on us. Uh, what is that kid's song? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. But how loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. You know that that will happen, and that song can be literally the heart song of my life until the day that I breathe my last breath. He's going to be working on me. And by the way, he's going to be working on you. And I hope this morning that even just hearing that helps you be more authentic in who you are. And to recognize when you're not batting a thousand every day in your walk with Christ, you're reading the word, you're praying, but maybe God's working on you. Maybe literally perpetually there's something that God is working on you. That is completely normal. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not any less of a believer than somebody who you look at and believe that they've got it all figured out. Just remember, they don't. But God does, and you're walking with him, and that's what matters. So you want that authentic walk with Christ. You want that authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But you and I also, as we're doing ministry with others, okay? Remember when it comes a time that you have to let go. And you have to let God do what you can't. Uh, was it Wednesday night that I talked about this? Anybody remember? Wednesday? Wednesday night. We talked about this Wednesday night. No, knowing when to say when in a sense. Knowing when we can't do. We can't make someone do what we want them to do. We can't will them to obedience. We can't will them to faithful, steadfast commitment. Uh, I talked about the reading of... I'm going to continue to do that, by the way. If you don't like it, then you might want to shut your ears because I'm going to talk about the importance of Scripture reading till the day that I die. I have to. And by, the, by God's grace. Amen? I will hammer that, and I will hammer it frequently till the day that I die because I recognize there's no other way here 
that we can be who God's created us to be. There's no way in the world that God can speak to you if you don't read the word. So I hammer on that because it's not that I have come to this unique understanding, but all throughout history, men, women, boys, and girls have known that, but some reason we have abdicated the importance of Scripture somewhere about uh, 80 years ago, in America, uh, right before 1955. Because in 1955 is when this went like this with, with uh, salvations, and after 55, this has happened, and it's never recovered to this day since 1955. Do you know what was important before then? The Bible. Do you know that in the beginning of the stool system in America, does anybody know what the textbook was? The Bible. There was no other textbook in American culture than the Bible. That was the only one. Hmm. Now, isn't that interesting? Righteousness a nation, exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to people. What did we do? Uh, remember the first, what was that? Somebody knows the name of the first book that I just was in my mind, it just left. The primer, um, the something primer. McGuffey Primer. It's one of the very first textbooks in American history. I think they even had that on uh, Little House in the Prairie. That was one of the first ones that they were using. And of course, as they did that, what happened? Oh, well, start moving the Bible to the background because we've got stuff that's more effective at teaching people, right? And then ultimately, you know what happens? It is incremental compromise. And ultimately, we come to the place we're at right now where, yes, there's Bible verses inscribed all over the monuments in our nation, including inside the doors of the Supreme Court in the back of those big oak doors when you walk into the Supreme Court is the Ten Commandments engraved on the back of the doors in the very place where they debate whether Scripture has a place in American culture. Interesting, right? But yet that's what happens if we're not careful. Paul recognized this. He recognized, though, that these people were becoming hardened to what he was sharing. He see, you see it right there. They became hardened. They would not believe. So they have set this steadfast wall they have erected this, basically, as Paul's trying to do nothing more than boldly proclaim truth to them. They start slandering the way in front of the crowd. So now, this is, this is like a poison, like an anthill. This is coming out, out of the woodwork, against what Paul's trying to do, and Paul's just nothing more. He's not there to argue. He's not there to waste time. He cares about the hearts, the souls, and family generations from that point going forward. So what does he do? What does he do? He withdraws from them. He meets separately with the disciples, conducting discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannius. He did what I was shared with you on Wednesday night and quite frequently have been doing. If the audience doesn't want to hear the truth, find others that want to. Because there are people that want to hear the truth. Churches all over right now I'm hearing about splitting left and right. They don't believe the definition of what the Bible says. My, my thing is shut it down. Why in the world would you want a church if you don't believe the Bible? Shut the whole thing down. If the Bible isn't real, then what reason do you have to have a civic organization? Just shut the doors, go home. We got too much to do, amen? I know the Bible's real, and therefore, that's why I can steadfastly stand up here week in and week out. But if Longview Baptist, let's just say the church votes and goes, listen, we don't believe Genesis is real. We're going to take that. We're going to take about four books. We're not going to talk about those. We don't believe they're real anymore. You wouldn't even have to ask me. I would bow out politely, lovingly. I'd rebuke you on the way out. 
and say, y'all have lost your minds. I love you and I care about you, but y'all have deceived yourselves and the truth isn't in you. I know that God's word is the infallible word of God and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt it brings life, it brings transforming works in lives, hearts, for generations. Not only now, but generations to come. And if you guys want to engage in the deceiving spirits teaching what scripture says, doctrines of demons, I I will not mess with it for five minutes because what I know Less than five minutes from my house are people that want to hear the gospel. Amen? And I know that there's people who are not going to sit back and want to argue a bunch of foolishness about something that is, to me, there's no reason to argue it because it's truth. So I have nothing to argue about. If you don't believe the Bible, don't waste your time. Pray that God would give you wisdom and open your mind to the truth because if he doesn't, God forbid that you never come to the knowledge of truth and God will merely give you your will one day. And your will is... You don't want to enter and be in his presence. God will not force you to be. God will merely give you your will. That's what God does. Well, God God wouldn't send somebody. He doesn't. You send yourself. God has paid the price. He has paid the, the debt in full. You don't have to go. God desires you and I to dwell in his presence. He's always from eternity past. All throughout history, God has been zealous to fellowship and to dwell with his people. So much so that he gives us the ability today to have him live within us. What an awesome comfort. What a blessing. And then, listen to verses 5 and 7 again. And this went on for two years, so that all the individuals in Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the message about the Lord. Third and final thing I want to share with you this morning is this. Discipleship is about the long haul. Paul spends two years. He's meeting with these disciples. He's encouraging them. He's challenging them. He's growing in them in their faith. He's preparing them as they go back into ministries and missions that only God knows where these people are plugged in. That's what's so awesome about God. It's a puzzle. God knows where to put us when we need to be placed somewhere. You know, it's another big ironic thing. Look at our, our nation and the mental health crisis of our nation. I, I, I've heard once a thousand times when something happens at a school or another venue and they go, I just don't understand. Well, you don't understand hopelessness? Do you think this, that people are hopeful and that's the reason that they go in and commit these atrocities? Do you think that they're so overwhelmed at the love for humanity and their fellow brethren that they get so excited in that that they go in there and commit these terrible crimes? No. I'm sorry, but you have, a, you have to have a distinct disdain and a hatred to go in and do what people do in these venues. You're not doing that because you love people. But think about this. What God's word calls us to do is to love our neighbor as ourselves. It calls us to love. Number one, look at Jesus. Look at the picture of everything that Jesus was. You see with Jesus, and there's one of these distinct things you hear over and over again. He had compassion on them. You see Jesus who, whether they're demonically possessed, whether they're prostitutes, doesn't matter. When he, when he goes over Jerusalem, remember, he looks over Jerusalem and he weeps for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were lost. They were broken. They were headed in a terrible direction. You're not doing that when you do what these people are doing. 
I'm going to tell you what you are. You're loveless. You're ruthless. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 1 sums it up better than just about any verse in Scripture could. Oh, Jude does too. Foaming their shame. Uh, whom the darkest blackness is reserved. It's just, it's bad. Without hope, there is no hope. When people become hopeless, they become desperate. And that's what you're watching right now. Hence my statement earlier about turning off the news. If you want to become hopeless, you keep filling your mind with that filth. And you will likewise begin to have a crisis of faith as you begin to watch day in and day out the hopelessness that is broadcast when yet there is so many more beautiful things that God's doing and there's wonderful things that people are engaged in and there's neat stuff like that movie Mully that I shared with you. Somebody called me this week who did watch that after I shared that with you on Sunday night, I think it was, and said, wow, that was incredible and how blessed they were and encouraged they were by watching the movie Mully. Awesome, great, great documentary. Uh, on the life of somebody who really loved the Lord, God saved, and did a mar mighty work in. But those are the kind of things that, that bring your mind from places of hopelessness to hope. And knowing that God can use you and God can, in a mighty way, impact tens of thousands of people with your life or my life. Or we can sit back and continue to try to change the minds of people who don't want it. The Bible's important, church. It's not only been important in history past, but to me, it is vitally important like never before in the history of humankind right now. Do you want something that'll help the person right now that you don't know how to help? God's word. God's word. By the way, you might go, well, they wouldn't read no Bible right now. Right, you. You need to read it. God needs to get you to the place where you are gonna be able to then minister to them. Because if you're not where you need to be, you can't be where they need you to be. And there's no place to get you to where you need to be until he is exactly where he needs to be and that's on the throne of your heart and everything preeminent. Because until he's number one and you really recognize that you have been created with a purpose, you are a piece of clay in the potter's hands and the potter forms you, prepares you, and then places you divinely where he needs you to be. Until you understand that conceptually, there's no way that you'll ever truly get serious about reading the Bible and want things to truly change. You'll sit around allowing yourself to become a perpetual victim. Oh, woe is me. My car broke down. My this, my that. Wait a minute. That's life. Invite somebody to the program who can change things. Then there's only one that can do it, and that's God. Is it going to happen instantly overnight? No, but I promise you what will happen is you'll begin to recognize that things will fundamentally change and when everything comes unraveled in life, remember, this is what will do this as opposed to the extremes of this. I don't like when things are going bad in my life, but there is one thing mentally I'm at least able to have the peace of God surpasses all understanding that guards my heart in Christ. That's the unchanging thing. Paul recognized it. He found people who were willing to hear the truth. He continued for, look at this, how long? Two more years. He knew it's important. He wanted them theologically where they needed to be. He wanted to make sure that they were able to be effective 
and presenting a clear understanding of the gospel. In spite of being shut out by these others, he didn't let him to get discouraged. Imagine us sometimes, right? I'm just not going to, nobody wants to hear it. What was next? You know, we, we build this entire encampment for us that live in this whole dead set of, and nobody wants to hear it anymore. We'll do that. We're very good at doing that. Amen? Don't let the enemy shut you up the most effective way possible, just discouraging you where you are when there's a host of people that need to hear what we have to share with them and will willingly listen. Stop wasting your time with somebody who's hardened that doesn't want to hear it. Allow the Spirit of God to open the eyes and lead you to the next person after you say, Lord, I'll relegate them to praying now. Most powerful arena you can put them in when you do that too. Once you put them in that arena, God, open the door next. Who would you like me to pour my life into? And God will divinely lead you exactly like he did with Paul in this. Again, God will bless obedience and passion for his glory. Number two, know when to let go and let God do what you cannot. Remember, number three, discipleship is about the long haul. It's not about an overnight thing. It's not about a, well, I'm going to go and share that with them, and then I'm going to go on. I'm gonna, they're going to get baptized and saved, and then have a great life. Here's a Bible. Mm-mm. No, it's about encouraging them. It's about, just like Sunday school, very important to be out there. What do you do? You develop relationships. Doesn't mean in Sunday school that there's going to be some, no, it's these relationships. We need each other. Amen? It's that intimate time you have in Sunday school with one another that you're able to develop those relationships. You get to know one another better. You get to kind of have the, a, a more informal setting where you're able to ask those questions because this is not the format with which we're able to on Sunday mornings during a service or we'd never be able to get through four or five uh, passages of scripture if we wanted to do it. But also, nobody would want to ask in front of a group this big a question that you've been having that you in those small settings. I hear some really awesome things that are occurring in there. People being able to get victory over things that they've been struggling with or battling with. God's really growing. And even this morning in our Sunday school class, hearing how encouraged that the ones are in our class because of the ability they have to have a class and what we're going through right now, it's just, it's, it's awesome. It's encouraging. But again, I can't will you to do it. I can't, I'm not your dad. And even if I was your dad, once you're an adult, what do you got to do? You got to make your own choices. We all have to what? Live and die by them. We have to make choices today, but the choices we make today will directly impact what we do or don't do tomorrow. You ever thought about what would happen if Paul hadn't stayed two years doing what he was doing there? How, di- how different would the landscape of Christianity be had Paul just dropped the ball? How important today in your family lineage, ready? The legacy in your family today, if you flim flam and fall out, What happens in your family 10 years, five years, six months from now? Because you think your children, one day when you decide to get serious, when you're 55 years old, right, you're already one leg in the grave, and one day you get serious about the Lord, hey kids, y'all need to get serious about this Jesus stuff, man, because it's really important. Let me tell you what your kids do. They roll their eyes and they say, oh yeah. Yeah, you were so serious about it growing up, mom and dad. Yep, I I hear it. Keep talking. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I know it happens. So I would encourage you, especially if you have younger children in here, you'd be really serious about it because 
that proverbial thought process of down the road, it's going to become important to them when it wasn't to you? I'm sorry, that's a pipe dream. You are deceiving yourselves, and you're living in a fairy tale land. You have an ability right now to establish something. Does that guarantee that they're going to be passionate about? No. But you can do everything that God's word says to do, and then that's when you trust it to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word, God. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart, and today you would like to make him not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life, first, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay for your sin. Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and Savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, and you wanna live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.